It's time for the Plan with Dan podcast, the show that will help you discover and achieve your true purpose for money and make you a more confident investor. We'll talk about sane and intelligent approaches to financial planning. Now, let's Plan with Dan. It's time for another Plan with Dan podcast. I'm Walter Storholt alongside the man of the hour. He is Dan Betzel, the founder of Betzel Wealth Advisors, serving you in the greater Columbus area with an office in Gahanna near the airport. And as always, we're online at BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. And Dan, I know you're excited about today's topic. We're going to let you be like those guys on TV that had that long-running successful show, Mythbusters. We're going to let you uh, blow up some myths on today's show. How's that sound? I used to love watching that show. I forgot all about it. It was that a cool was show. They that, was, always that was fun. <laughs> blow something up or set it on fire or just you know drive a car into a brick wall as fast as they could. I mean, it was just total destruction everywhere, but also really educational and entertaining how they'd kind of figure out you know what myths that we all believe you know to be true, which ones were actually true and which ones aren't. And, uh, you know, it's so interesting you say that because it, you know, reminds me, both of my kids now are, you know, adults. My daughter's going to, well, I'll be 30. But I used to watch uh, a show with each of them. And with my son, I, we always watched Mythbusters. And with my daughter, I always watched uh, Say Yes to the Dress. And I loved them both. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, I st- and I still love them. So. <laughs> you're, you're like both ends of that spectrum. That's I did. No problem. I really did. <laughs> my favorite Mythbusters episode was the one where they did, um, I had two kind of favorite skits that they did. And it's funny because they're probably two of the most lame ones that they did, but they were things that I had always wondered about. And one was uh, running through the rain. If you like, uh-huh. if, it, if it's pouring down rain and you want to get the least wet getting from your car one. to yeah. the building, should you run yeah. or walk? And you would think you should run. And yeah. I always thought, no, you should walk because more is going to fall on your head and kind of fall off. Whereas if you run, more is going to kind of hit you sideways on your shirt. And I think the results were sure enough that it was if you ran, you technically got more water on you. They, their shirts and their clothing weighed heavier having run through the rain rather than just walking yeah. through it. So I thought they were like physics, physics teachers. Yeah, yeah. And then the other one I enjoyed was uh, the tailgate thing in a truck. If you're driving a truck, should you have the tailgate up or the tailgate down? And I think that mm. one was surprising. It was actually more fuel efficient to have the tailgate up, if I remember mm. correctly. Now, I could be remembering it totally wrong, but mm, you would think it would be down, one. but the down actually created more downforce, and so there, therefore it had lower mileage. But anyway, yeah. we're going to bust some uh, financial myths on today's show, mm-hmm. so stay tuned for that. We're also going to answer a really good question from Brent, and he's wondering about this really short-term matching option that Brent's son has been offered at an internship. So that's going to be a really interesting question to dive into Hmm. as well. Something that apparently is more popular than you might think. Uh, So we're going to dive into that. But first, before we get to any of that... Extra, extra, read all about it! It's time to see what's happening in the news. And for our In the News topic this week, Dan, we're hopping over to talk about uh, a couple of different things. In reality, I think this one is probably the most current one to talk about, and that would be cryptocurrencies, things like Bitcoin, some of these risky but very popular investments, they're drawing a lot of attention, so much so that there was actually a report recently that showed college students were taking some of their financial aid and investing in Bitcoin. 
which is kind of just eye-popping to think that that's what you'd be using your financial aid for in the first place. Um, But it leads to, I think, a broader discussion of, you know, investing in things like cryptocurrencies that are really popular. Things like marijuana stocks are kind of, you know, bumping up in popularity a little bit. Foreign currencies have always been kind of a little carrot that people have gone after. Certainly gold, silver, other metals have drawn a lot of attention in headlines in the news. And gosh, you think back to the release of you know, Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat, some of these initial public offerings that happen for companies out there. All these things draw a lot of interest and buzz and attention. They're very popular, but they also seem to draw a lot of risk. And so I'm just curious, based on some of those recent headlines, you know, for a retiree, where does some of these things fit in? Can they have a place in someone who's preparing for retirement's, you know, portfolio? Wow, that's that's a really great question. And that. I guess statistics shocks me that 20% of college students are using a portion of their financial aid. It's like, wow. Well, let's unpack this a little bit because prudent, you know, long-term investing, you know, is very different than speculation. And I find it very, very interesting that the interest in these various, you know, investment strategies, it seems like it almost runs parallel to the bubble that's being created. Like, I mean, I don't have anybody currently, you know, in the middle of June asking me about, you know, Bitcoin. But eight or nine weeks ago, I was getting one or two questions a day, you know, when Bitcoin was up at its highest. Now that it's pretty much collapsed, you know, so as people's interest in it. But I I think it, you know, asks a bigger question. And it's a kind of a behavioral finance question is, you know, behavioral finance researchers tell us that there's basically, you know, two basic emotions we have around money. One is fear, and one is greed. And unfortunately, you know, the media and some of these risky and alternative investments, if I, if I can call them investments, that you're talking about, you know, play into that, right? I mean, Bitcoin plays into both. You know, if there's going to be a, a collapse of all the world economies, then, you know, Bitcoin is going to rise and it's going to save you. But it also plays into this greed because, you know, Bitcoin went from, I think, just worth a few cents a piece to, you know, what? I don't know what it was at its high. It was, you know, ten, twelve thousand dollars. I can't remember. The bottom line is I don't think these investments have any place in a, a prudent, well diversified portfolio. But let me say that if you do have a well diversified globally invested portfolio that really has, you know, all 19 distinct asset categories, you are going to have some foreign currencies in there. You are going to have some interest in gold mines and and companies that, you know, that that produce gold and and and, and various types of jewelry and you are going to have oil and you know, you're going to have a lot of these things already in there. So, I would tell people get a well-diversified portfolio. Don't take your hard-earned retirement planning money and invest it in these investment strategies that have really no way to measure the risk. It's all about measuring the risk. Now, if you want to go to Las Vegas and, and gamble a little bit with a portion of your money, sure, buy a little bit of gold, buy a little bit of, of Bitcoin, but don't call that investing for retirement. Call that what it is, speculation and gambling. And enjoy yourself, but don't, don't have it be a part of your retirement portfolio. So it's got a place in our overall portfolio, but not in the retirement portion. 
Is that the right uh, way to I think would, about I, it? I don't think I'd even say that. I wouldn't call it a part of your portfolio. I okay. mean, uh, okay. buying a car is not an investment usually, right? It's 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 something you do for fun. Going to the casino and and you know putting money in the slot machine is not an investment. You do it for fun. If you want to buy some gold, you know, maybe buy your wife a very beautiful necklace, but don't buy gold for an investment. Okay, interesting. Very uh, good way to put that. I think. Just a little bit of what we've seen happening in the news, certainly. Uh, always going to be interesting conversations about these risky investments because, Dan, they are often the most popular ones to talk about. And <laughs> so we got to constantly yeah, think, bring true. them up because <laughs> they, they, they just have that little, uh, that little magnet attached to them that, that <laughs> wants to bring us along. Well, there you go. That's a little bit of what's happening in the news. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. Well, we open up the mailbag each week here on Plan with Dan and take some of your questions. And this week's comes to us from Brent in Lancaster. And Brent's got a good question for you, Dan. He says, my son just uh, signed up for a 12-week internship with Honda. He's been offered the option of a matching 401k plan. But the internship's only 12 weeks is it worth being involved in this plan? Wow. First of all, congratulations uh, to your son. I mean, just landing an internship is amazing. And then landing one that pays you is amazing. Then landing one that not only pays you, but lets you participate in, in the 401k. It's like, wow, I, th- I think that's uh, that's amazing. Well, so congratulations. I'm kind of uh, stunned about that. I still remember when uh, I graduated from law school and we were begging for unpaid internships Yeah, just to get some experience on the resume. So that's fantastic. Yeah, where, well, where were these in our days? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Good, good news. I guess my, my first question would be, I, I know that a lot of large companies, I don't know if Honda is doing this or not, but they're all actually offering Roth options. So I would, I would say, you know, is there a Roth option? If that's the case, that would be like, for me, a no brainer. You certainly would want to participate in the Roth. But even if there's not, I mean, what a great opportunity to start putting away some money for retirement. So yes, I would definitely say that your son should contribute and should participate in this plan. But it kind of uh, begs another question is, you know, how should you invest the money? Because if he's only going to be there 12 weeks, and then at the end of the 12 weeks, uh, he's no longer employed, and there probably will, um, I would think, mandate that he rolls that money over into a self-directed IRA, that's a very, very, very short time horizon. So um, I, I think given that short time horizon, because, uh, you know, an investment cycle is normally three to four years. And, you know, we have no idea what the market's going to be, you know, in, in 10 or 12 weeks. You know, we know in 15, 20 years it's going to be up. So I think if that were my son, what I'd recommend is certainly participate in it. Absolutely. Get all the information you can. Read about it. Use the opportunity to educate yourself. But I think I would just keep it. I think I would put it inside the cash provision. And let that cash accumulate, you know, over the summer, the 10 or 12 weeks. And then when he leaves the internship, roll that money into a self-directed IRA, a Roth IRA, if, if that is an option, if, if he can contribute to a Roth 401k at Honda. And then sit down and think of a long-term strategy, you know, that he can uh, use to invest for the next 25, 30 years. But wow, what a great question and congratulations. Wish him the best of luck. He's off to a great start. Yeah, no kidding. Way to have a leg up on probably every other kid out there that's got a summer internship. Pretty interesting to see something like that offered. So bottom line, take the match for sure, but uh, don't maybe waste time trying to pick the right investment if it's only for a 12-week period. 
Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Do that, do that later when you, when you can have a self-directed IRA yep. for long term. Good question. Thank you for that one, Brent. And if you ever have a question for Dan and you'd like to have it featured on the show, you can go to BetzelWealthAdvisors.com to ask your question. That's BetzelWealthAdvisors.com, and you'll see a place where you can uh, ask a question there on the site. That's BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. All right, Dan, we have uh, time to put that myth-busting hat on for you. So get it in place ah, great. and get ready because <laughs> questions coming your way. All right, so these are the myths that we often see perpetuated throughout the financial world, and they really need busting because some of these are pretty serious. If you believe in these myths and kind of base your financial plan on them, it really puts you in a bad way and can lead you astray. So here's an oldie but a goodie. Don't touch the principal. Live off the interest. We've heard that for a long time, Dan. Oh my gosh, yes, and you know, and I, I remember back when I was younger, you know, twenty, well, longer than that, but you possibly could do that, right? Because there was a time when CDs were paying, you know, six, seven, eight percent interest, and you really could live off of the interest. But it's been a long time since a retiree could reasonably expect, you know, to live off the interest they earned at the bank. But, you know, if you have a market-based portfolio, you just probably aren't going to have enough income coming off. So it's really, really important to come up with an income plan because that's that's really what this question is asking about is, you know, how am I going to fund my income in retirement? And I think it's just really crucial that you come up with an income plan. Uh, there's there's a, some great analytical tools that you can use to determine, you know, how much can you safely pull from your portfolio and still you know, have a high degree of probability that you will be able to have enough funds, you know, for the rest of your life and your spouse's life. So yeah, you've really got to look at your portfolio and look how it's designed. You know, is it designed for income or is it designed for growth? And uh, how much risk is in it? Those are great questions you need to talk about. Have multiple streams of income so you don't have to live just off of your investments and have significant cash reserves. So yeah, I think that's a myth that we got to bust, this idea of don't touch the principal live off the interest. Okay, another one here for you. The more a financial plan weighs, the more valuable <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's really that's really great. You know, I remember when I was still practicing uh, estate tax law, clients would come in for to talk about their estate planning, whether we were going to do a, you know, revocable trust or a will or maybe even some more exotic planning, you know, a charitable trust, and they would sometimes bring in, I mean, they would be actually bound as they went to the printer and they were actually, you know, bound financial plans with their name on this on the spine and the side of it. And I would read through that and I would say, you know, I know this this might sound a bit, you know, harsh, but I'd be like, oh my gosh, this is about ninety-five percent filler, ninety percent just pure just pure rubbish. But I think a lot of these really, really, really large financial institutions, they just really like to see, you know, who can make the most attractive you know, cover. It always reminded me of that saying, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a financial plan by its cover. So just because it has a really, really nice cover doesn't mean it has anything of any value inside of it. Most of it's just boilerplate. And oh my gosh, I hope they didn't pay a lot for it. Yeah, it's a really good <laughs> it's a really good thing to think about though because we often do get impressed. It doesn't have to necessarily be the weight either. Sometimes we get really impressed by, you know, things like the the color or like you were talking about the the leather-bound book or yes, yes. the fancy graphics and these kinds of things. And all those things are great and, you know, wonderful for marketing and that kind of thing, but is it as, you know, does that tell you anything about the meat, anything inside the portfolio? 
maybe not. Just may show you that they have good marketing abilities, to, you know, good color schemes that they can yeah. match together. A really good financial plan that you can actually uh, take and apply to your life and to make a real difference, you know, it's, I don't know four to six pages, maybe eight. Yeah. I don't know. Not too much. Well, too you, much. you bring up a good point, though, because I, I, I won't say this is a myth, but I, I want to bring up something. I've heard this in many different phases of the financial world of you should be able to, to – two things. One, your plan should fit on a page. Your financial mm-hmm. plan should fit on one mm-hmm. page. You hear that all the time. You should have a one uh-huh. – if it can't fit on a page, it's too long. And yeah. then another one is if you can't explain your plan to a five-year-old, then it's not simple enough. And I think it's almost dangerous to go too far in that direction because that just seems, I mean, yeah, we want to make things simple, but at the same time, you can go too far in that direction to where you're missing out on opportunity and well, not everything in life a five-year-old has to understand. You see what I'm getting at? Oh, absolutely. But I, I, I think that probably is just trying to act against these like crazy, you know, two and 300 page plans that really don't speak at all to a person's real life and what's important to them. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, just the concept, you know, that you need to be able to under, if you can't understand it, then it probably is not a good plan for you. And, you know, I, I think back to the estate planning world, you know, sometimes we as the attorneys, we would come up with a very, very sophisticated plan for a person, maybe a farmer, because they, you know, the farmer has a $5 million farm. At that time, you know, the estate tax exemption was 600000 So we could come up with a plan that would reduce that you know, their, their estate taxes down to zero, but it was extremely complicated. And these were very hardworking, intelligent people, but they weren't a bunch of lawyers, you know, and, and the plan didn't fit what was going to work for their lives. So I think that the, the concept you're talking about, you know, makes a lot of sense, you know, to try to simplify, to make sure that you can understand it. Now, you know, whether it should fit on one page, whether a five-year-old should be able to understand it. Yeah, okay, you got it. Your point's well taken. But I think what they're trying to express is it doesn't have to be super complicated to be good and to work for you and your family. And you have to understand it enough to at least embrace it and to, and to do the steps that you need to make it work for you. So I think that's the point. I think. They're, they're using a little bit of hyperbole, I guess. Uh, there you go. I, I couldn't think of the word, but that's it. <laughs> hyperbole. There you we got go. It. <laughs> All right. Uh, you're doing a great job. Good job wearing that Mythbuster hat. Here's another one for you. My life is so simple, so a will is all that I need to have my affairs in order. Oh, wow. That's a really good question, a good myth. Unfortunately, there's nothing really simple about the probate process. I could talk you know, for the rest of this podcast about situations and stories that occurred to me when I was still practicing law. I mean, for example, you say, you know, when I pass away, it's simple, everything to my wife. But, you know, 25 years, 30 years earlier before I was married, I named my mom as the beneficiary of my life insurance policy. <laughs> I, did the, I, I, I did, did the same thing. And I, and I didn't understand <laughs> that the will doesn't control that. You know, now you fast forward, I pass away. Well, guess what? My mom has predeceased me. So now the beneficiary designation lapses. It now goes into the probate court and we'll have to see what happens to that, right? It's not going to go as I intended. So there's really nothing simple. You know, and then when you come to the end of life decisions, last April, my mother in law passed away. And, you know, fortunately for my wife and her two sisters, they had a rather uh, simple life. But fortunately for them, they had taken all the steps necessary, you know, the last, not only a will and a trust, but also the healthcare documents. You know, she had a, a very massive stroke and wasn't able to make any of her end of life decisions. But it was a gift that she had given to her three daughters. You know, that when I find myself in this particular situation, these are the things that I want done. 
And it was really very comforting and I think helpful to the family, you know, to produce this document in which her mom was able to tell them what she wanted to have happen. So, you know, yeah, your life can be simple, but that doesn't mean that the uh, probate process, you know, or the end of life decisions are simple at all. So it's it's really just really important, uh, I think, an absolute another gift. Uh, that's the way I looked at it. It was another gift that my mother-in-law had given to her three daughters. You know, the funeral plans were in place. Uh, cemetery lot was purchased. The headstone was already decided on when my father-in-law passed away. But it, it, I mean, it's a very difficult time anyway. And to know that the plans have all been made and you are just there to be their advocate and to execute those plans for them, the only way I can explain it is a gift. So your life might be simple, but it's a myth that, you know, all you have to do is have a simple mm. will. Good points, as always. So, yeah, don't believe that myth that can lead you astray for sure. Uh, let's squeeze in another one here, Dan. My spouse will be fine when I'm gone, kind of in that same vein as what you were just talking about, but from a little yeah. bit different angle here. You know, this mentality that, okay, spouse is going to be fine from an income perspective because they're only going to need half of it anyway. You know, we were two, now we're one. Divide everything in half, and the numbers should still work out. People often think that, but that is certainly a myth. I, I mean, I think statistics in my own personal experience working with people who have lost a spouse, it's probably closer to 80%, you know, of the income you're going to need. So it's considerably more than 50. Not only that, but the taxes often change because, you know, people don't understand that Often, you know, when you lose a spouse, the repercussions for taxes uh, often are going to go up because you no longer have the double exemption, you know, and the double standard deduction. You don't only have one. And that can be really significant for your annual taxable income. Also, remember that Social Security is going to be impacted. You know, usually if the husband passes away in, in that particular age group, they were receiving more Social Security. The wife will be able to get or the survivor will be able to get the higher of the couple social security, but one social security is going to go away. Sometimes, you know, a pension will also decrease. And then if the surviving spouse really wasn't actively participating in the household finances and in, in the investment meetings, it can be very, very difficult for them to get up to speed while they're handling with the loss of a spouse. So um, it's a myth, right? And I think it's really, really smart, you know, to, to sit down and to actually do an analysis Okay, what is my retirement income going to look like when we're both alive and competent? What is my retirement income going to look like when one of us is gone? What are the taxation implications of the repercussions of losing a spouse? You know, to help you make really good decisions, you know, when you're just starting out. So to make sure that your spouse truly is protected. It's not enough just to say, okay, I'm gone. They're going to be fine. They'll need half as much money. Never that easy. Uh, it's Never gonna, that easy. It's going to nope. take a little bit more planning there. Yeah. All right, we started off with an oldie but a goodie. Let's end with an oldie but a goodie. Last myth that needs busting for at least today, Dan. When I retire, I need to dramatically shift from stocks to bonds in my portfolio. Wow. Well, dramatically shift kind of scares me a little bit, just the way you, you worded that. Um, but, but I would say, you know, put this in context that, you know, while you're working and you're contributing to your, you know, retirement investment vehicles, you know, it's kind of like climbing the mountain, you know, and there's one set of rules that apply while you're accumulating wealth. But eventually you get to the top of the mountain and you start coming down the other side. You start withdrawing money from the other side. And, you know, and the rules change. And often people aren't aware that the rules change. So the statement, when I retire, I need to dramatically shift from stocks to bonds in my portfolio. Well, I mean, uh, wow, I don't know. Every situation is different. And it may actually be that you may have to increase your stock holdings, you know, in order to generate enough 
income and stay ahead of inflation. Uh, again, it all depends, you know, on, on on how your portfolio is situated. You know, as a general rule, I would say it's probably true. You know, as we get closer and closer to the retirement mountaintop, and we shift from you know accumulating wealth to actually you know withdrawing wealth that we often need to make sure that the the downside that the you know the risk inherent in your portfolio is being managed and for some people that does mean you know shifting from you know a more growth oriented portfolio to a balanced portfolio so maybe it means decreasing slightly or somewhat you know your equity or stock exposure but every person's different i can't give a, a blanket answer and i certainly think it's a myth when I retire, I need to dramatically shift from stocks to bonds, especially given today's longevity and retirement planning. Many retirees that I work with have been retired for 20, 25, even 30 years. That's a very long time horizon, and they certainly still need significant equity or stock exposure in their portfolio in order to stay ahead of inflation and to create the income stream they need for their retirement lives. These are all such good myths, Dan, to kind of put a, a bow, <laughs> I think. A good myth is not really yeah. a, uh, a good sentence, isn't it? Uh, it's pretty bad. Yeah. These are all myths that need busting, certainly. How often do you find, to kind of put a bow on today's conversation, how often do you find people coming into your office and they truly believe one of these one of these myths. And this isn't to point fingers or, or, to, or to laugh or anything like this. But, I mean, how ingrained is this into our minds as, you know, people preparing for retirement and for our financial future? How often are you having to put that myth buster hat on? I understand that these are these are very deeply embedded myths, you know, inside of our of kind of our mass consciousness. And, you know, we all have them. And uh, I just think it's a part of the whole education process. You know, when you start meeting with an advisor and you start laying out the real facts and, and, and working together to create. A, a retirement plan, income plan that's going to work for the individuals. You know, these are myths, but they're very easily just like just like the TV show. They're very easy to to dispel, and sometimes they're kind of fun to dispel. To bring this full circle, you know, uh, by the time we come up with a plan that they're happy with, you know, my goal is to get them to say, you know, yes to the retirement income dress. You know, have them say <laughs> yes to the plan, them say yes to the plan, and and we're going to just blow all those myths out of the water. I'm not going to let you hang out there to dry on the say yes to the dress thing. I've watched The Bachelor and The Bachelorette with my wife for probably the last seven or eight years. So she watches sports with me. I watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette with her. And you and I are not ashamed to admit that we'll watch those kinds of shows, right? Well, I'll tell you, there's there's a lot of drama and myths in saying yes to the dress. It's actually... I think it's kind of fun. It's really fun. <laughs> so. It's uh, it's just like reading uh, an escapism book, right? It's just a little <laughs> bit, little bit of a chance to turn your brain off a little bit and, and have a chuckle. Sometimes that's okay, I think. Well, there you go. Very good. Some of the myths to be aware of in the financial landscape. If you have any questions about your financial situation, you want to get in touch with Dan Betzel, you can do that by calling 614-472-4510. That's 614-472-4510. You can find us online, as always, at BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. That's BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. And here's something else that you might find useful, the Retirement Rescue Toolkit. If you're new to the podcast, this may be the first time you've heard us talk about it. This is an actual physical box that Dan and his team will send you. It's packed with great resources, a copy of Dan's book, an audio CD, a DVD, special reports, lots of other goodies in there as well. And there's a link to that on the website in the podcast description. And you can also call that number we gave out to get a copy of that toolkit as well. So if you want a retirement rescue toolkit, go to BetzelWealthAdvisors.com and you'll see a link for it right there on the page and in the episode description for today as well. Dan, thank you as always for your help and guidance on the show, and we'll do it again next time. Thanks, Walter. 
We appreciate it. That's Dan Betzel. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time on Planet. Fee-based financial planning and investment advisory services are offered by Betzel Wealth Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Ohio.